Section 37 of Old and New Masters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Old and New Masters by Robert Lind. Chapter 27. Mr. Thomas Hardy. Section 1. His Genius as a Poet. Mr. Thomas Hardy, in the opinion of some, is greater as a poet than as a novelist. That is one of the mild heresies in which the amateur of letters loves to indulge. It has about as much truth in it as the statement that Milton was greater as a controversialist than as a poet, or that Lamb's plays are better than his essays. Mr. Hardy has undoubtedly made an original contribution to the poetry of his time, but he has given us no verse that more than hints at the height and depth of the tragic vision which is expressed in Jude the Obscure. He is not by temperament a singer. His music is a still small voice, unevenly matched against his consciousness of midnight and storm. It is a flutter of wings in the rain over a tomb. His sense of beauty is frail and midge-like compared with his sense of everlasting frustration. The conceptions in his novels are infinitely more poetic than the conceptions in his verse. In Tess and Jude, destiny presides with something of the grandeur of the ancient gods. Except in the dinists and a few of the lyrics, there is none of his brooding majesty in his verse, and even in the dinists, majestic as the scheme of it is, there seems to me to be more creative imagination in the prose passages than in the poetry. Truth to tell, Mr. Hardy is neither sufficiently articulate nor sufficiently fastidious to be a great poet. He does not express life easily in beautiful words or in images. There is scarcely a magical image in the hundred or so poems in the book of his selected verse. Thus he writes in I Found Her Out There, of one who would sigh at the tale of sunk lioness, as a wind-tugged tress flapped her cheek like a flail. There could not be an uglier and more prosaic exaggeration than is contained in the image in the last line, and prose intrudes in the choice of words as well as in images. Take, for example, the use of the word domiciled in the passage in the same poem about that western sea as it swells and sobs, where she once domiciled. There are infelicities of the same kind in the first verse of the poem called At an Inn. When we as strangers sought their catering care, veiled smiles bespoke their thought of what we were. They warmed as they opined us more than friends, that we had all resigned for love's dear ends. Catering care is an appalling phrase. I do not wish to overemphasize the significance of flaws of this kind, but at a time when all the world is eager to do honour to Mr. Hardy's poems, it is surely well to refrain from doing equal honour to his faults. We shall not appreciate the splendid interpretation of earth in the return of the native more highly for persuading ourselves that intermissive aim at the thing sufficeth is a line of good poetry. Similarly, the critic, if he is to enjoy the best of Mr. Hardy, must also be resolute not to shut his eyes to the worst in such a verse as that with which a broken appointment begins. You did not come, and marching time drew on and wore me numb. Yet loss for loss of your dear presence there, than that I thus found lacking in your make, that high compassion which can overbear reluctance for pure loving-kindness' sake. Grieved I, when as the hope hour stroked its sum, you did not come. 
there are hints of the grand style of lyric poetry in these lines but phrases like in your make and as the hope hour stroked its sum are discords that bring it tumbling to the levels of victorian commonplace what one does bless mr hardy for however both in his verse and in his prose is his bleak sincerity he writes out of the reality of his experience he has a temperament sensitive beyond that of all but a few recent writers to the pain and passion of human beings especially as he is sensitive to the pain and passion of frustrated lovers at least half his poems i fancy are poems of frustration and they hold us under the spell of reality like a tragedy in a neighbour's house even when they leave us most mournful over the emptiness of the world one can see how very mournful mr hardy's genius is if one compares it with that of browning his master in the art of the dramatic lyric browning is also a poet of frustrated lovers one can remember poem after poem of his with a theme that might easily have served for mr hardy too late christina the lost mistress the last ride together the statue and the bust to name a few but what a sense of triumph there is in browning's tragedies even when he writes of the feeble-hearted as in the statue and the bust he leaves us with the feeling that we are in the presence of weakness in a world in which courage prevails his world is a place of opulence not of poverty compare the last ride together with mr hardy's the phantom horsewoman and you will see a vast energy and beauty issuing from loss in the one while in the other there is little but a sad shadow to have loved even for an hour is with browning to live forever after in the inheritance of a mighty achievement to have loved for an hour is in mr hardy's imagination to have deepened the sadness even more than the beauty of one's memories not that mr hardy's is quite so miserable a genius as is commonly supposed it is false to picture him as always on his knees before the grave worm his faith in beauty and joy may be only a thin flame but it is never extinguished his beautiful lyric i look into my glass is the cry of a soul dark but not utterly darkened i look into my glass and view my wasting skin and say would god it came to pass my heart had shrunk as thin for then i undistressed by hearts growing cold to me could lonely wait my endless rest with equanimity but time to make me grieve part steals lets part abide and shakes this fragile frame at eve with throbbings of noontide that is certainly worlds apart from the unquenchable joy of browning's all the breath and the bloom of the world in the bag of one bee but it is also far removed from the lo you may always end it where you will of the city of dreadful night and despair is by no means triumphant in what is perhaps the most attractive of all mr hardy's poems the oxen christmas eve and twelve of the clock now they are all on their knees an elder said as we sat in a flock by the embers in hearthside ease we pictured the meek mild creatures where they dwelt in their story pen nor did it occur to one of us there to doubt they were kneeling then so fair a fancy few would weave in these years yet i feel if someone said on christmas eve come see the oxen kneel in the lonely barton by yonder coombe our childhood used to know i should go with him in the gloom hoping it might be so the mood of faith however or rather of delight in the memory of faith is not mr hardy's prevailing mood 
at the same time his unfaith relates to the duration of love rather than to human destiny he believes in the world's amendment he can enter upon a war without ironical doubts as we see in the song men who march away more than this he can look forward beyond war to the coming of a new patriotism of the world how long he cries in a poem written some years ago how long o ruling teuton slavs and gales must your wrath reasonings trade on lives like these that are as puppets in a playing hand when shall the saner softer polities whereof we dream have sway in each proud land and patriotism grown godlike scorn to stand bond slave to realms but circle earth and seas but perhaps his characteristic attitude to war is to be found not in lines like these but in that melancholy poem the souls of the slain in which the souls of the dead soldiers return to their country and question a senior soul flame as to how their friends and relatives have kept their doughty deeds in remembrance and general hell hold out our sweethearts sworn loyal as doves many mourn many think it is not unattractive to prink them in sable for heroes some fickle and fleet hearts have found them new loves and our wives quoth another resignedly dwell they on our deeds deeds of home that live yet fresh as new deeds of fondness or fret ancient words that were kindly expressed or unkindly these these have their heeds mr hardy has too bitter a sense of reality to believe much in the glory of war his imagination has always been curiously interested in soldiers but that is more because they have added a touch of colour to the tragic game of life than because he is on the side of the military show one has only to read the dinners along with barrack-room ballads to see that the attitude of mr hardy to war is the attitude of the brooding artist in contrast with that of the music-hall politician not that mr kipling did not tell us some truths about the fate of our fellows but he related them to an atmosphere that savoured of beer and tobacco rather than of eternity the real world to mr hardy is the world of ancient human things in which war has come to be a hideous irrelevance that is what he makes emphatically clear in the time of the breaking of nations only a man harrowing clods in a slow silent walk with an old horse that stumbles and nods half asleep as they stalk only thin smoke without flame from the heaps of cooch grass yet this will go onward the same though dynasties pass yonder a maid and her white come whispering by war's annals will fade into night ere their story die it may be thought on the other hand that mr hardy's poems about war are no more expressive of tragic futility than his poems about love futility and frustration are ever recurring themes in both his lovers like his soldiers rot in the grave defeated of their glory lovers are always severed both in life and in death rain on the windows creaking doors with blasts that best in the green and i am here and you are there and a hundred miles between in beyond the last lamp we have the same mournful cry over severance there are few sadder poems than this with its tristful refrain even in the works of mr hardy it is too long to quote in full but one may give the last verses of this lyric of lovers in a lane when i retrod that watery way some hours beyond the droop of day 
Still I found pacing there the twain, Just as slowly, just as sadly, Heedless of the night and rain. One could but wonder who they were, And what wild woe detained them there. Though thirty years of blur and blot Have slid since I beheld that spot, I saw in curious converse there, Moving slowly, moving sadly, That mysterious, tragic pair. Its olden look may linger on, All but the couple, they have gone. Whither, who knows, indeed, And yet to me when nights are weird and wet, Without those comrades there at tryst, Creeping slowly, creeping sadly, that love lane does not exist. There they seem brooding on their pain, and will while such a lane remain. And death is no kinder than life to lovers. I shall rot here with those whom in their day you never knew, and alien ones who, ere they chilled to clay, met not my view, will in yon distant grave place ever neighbour you. No shade of pinnacle or tree or tower, while earth endures, Will fall on my mound, and within the hour steal unto yours. One robin never haunt our two green covertures. Mr. Hardy, fortunately, has the genius to express the burden and the mystery even of a world grey with rain and commonplace in achievement. There is a beauty of sorrow in these poems in which life with a sad, seared face mirrors itself without disguise. They bring us face to face with an experience intenser than our own. There is nothing common in the tragic image of dullness in a commonplace day. The day is turning ghost, and scuttles from the calendar in fits and furtively, to join the anonymous host of those that throng oblivion, ceding his place, maybe, to one of like degree. Nothing of tiniest worth have I wrought, pondered, planned, no one thing asking blame or praise, since the pale corpse-like birth of this diurnal unit, bearing blanks in all its rays, dullest of dull-hued days. Wanly upon the panes the rain slides, as have slid since morn my colourless thoughts, and yet, here while day's presence wanes, and over him the sepulchre lid is slowly lowered and set, he wakens my regret. In the poem which contains these verses, the emotion of the poet gives words often undistinguished and almost Elizabethan rhythm. Mr. Hardy, indeed, is a poet who often achieves music of verses, but he seldom achieves music of phrase. We must then be grateful without niggardliness for the gift of his verse. On the larger canvas of his prose we find a vision more abundant, more varied, more touched with humour, but his poems are the genuine confessions of a soul, the meditations of a man of genius, brooding not without bitterness, but with pity, on the paths that lead to the grave, and the figures that flit along them so solitarily and so ineffectually. End of section 37